Puddles in the morning, puddles in the evening, puddles in the afternoon. Well, I'm a puddle boy and she's a puddle girl. The Puddles podcast is starting real soon. All right. <sighs> boy. Okay. Welcome to Puddles with Andrew Collin, uh, a.k.a. Puddle Boy, a.k.a. Dry Dick, a.k.a. Poop Hands, a.k.a. Old Gray Balls, a.k.a. Garbage Face, a.k.a. Mice, a.k.a. ATC, a.k.a. AKA. Yeah, Gray Balls is new. And no, Mice is old. Um, <laughs> what an episode we have here. I never thought that this would happen. If you asked me... Uh, 20 years ago in college when I was thinking about what my major would be. I didn't think uh, 20 years later I'd be in a small studio in Brooklyn sitting down next to the man that made me. Uh, Papa Puddles is here. Uh, Dr. Alan Collin. Good to be here. A.K.A. Father. A.K.A. Older Dry Dick. <laughs> no, no, no. I, wait, I have, I have my own nicknames. What are, okay. You brought some? Did you write them down? I brought, no, I didn't write them down, so I'll probably miss a few. Cauliflower. Okay. Slow mo. <laughs> you never heard that? No. That was because I was swift the foot on the football field. <laughs> you played football? Slow mo. I played football, community football. Okay. Ten, uh, yeah, we. I played two hand touch. Okay, so what are your other? Uh, that's enough. <laughs> ace or swift? Ace or swift? Or ace? Big I was ace for a little while, actually. Yeah, I liked In ace. high school, yeah. I liked ace. Uh, Big Owl. Big Owl? That was self-named, though, right? That was self-named. All mine are self-named. Did you ever call well, me a nickname? You called me Drewy, maybe? No? Nothing. No, you didn't like uh, Drewy. I hated Andy. Right. You never were an Andy. You came out Drew. Drew. <laughs> or you're, you're Andrew. Drew. Or Andrew. Yeah. So you did you call me Drew. <laughs> you were... <laughs> oh, you don't like Drew? I like Drew. Oh, yeah, I like Drew, too. I, um... Andy, I didn't like because of Annie the musical. Oh, I, I, I never asked you why. I just, <laughs> well, I just realized that your crinkled face said, "Please don't call me that again, Dad." <laughs> well, because Annie was a woman, so I thought oh. you're calling me a woman, and so I would fight. I would fist fight kids. Now it might be a popular name. Well, there's um, Andy to... Cohen. Kind of already stole it. So how what's about, going on? How about Andy Devine? Andy Devine. I mean. Him? From Andy, what? Andy. Uh, There's Adam Devine. Uh, Andy Kaufman. Okay. Andy. Griffith. <laughs> Andy Donut. <laughs> you can't call back to a joke that wasn't on air. Oh. Well, <laughs> it's something I would do. Andy yeah. Cheese. We were practicing. He said cheese. I said donut. And... Okay. So we're here. <laughs> we're in Brooklyn. You took an Uber here from my other brother's oh, place. Oh, my. It was, it was like. Hours, we saw the entire city. How he went, I, I, I can't reproduce how he. But he has a GPS and just follows the signs. So we went over the Williamsburg Bridge. We took the FDR Drive, got off at the Manhattan ex, Manhattan Bridge exit, and wound up over the Williamsburg Bridge. That's how we got here. <laughs> riveting. It was riveting. Okay. <laughs> The day the day started off okay until we had to tell we had to pronounce the street that we're on to the Uber driver. It is a tough street. I don't know how, how to say how, it. How do you say it? 
Dubassier? De Beauvoir. De Beauvoir. De Beauvoir. It's French. Oh, He's a, he was French. a French lawyer in the Emancipation. Oh, thank you. Proclamation. Seventeen. From she went to school in Montreal. She, yeah, that's yeah. how she knows. It's gorgeous. Um, what do you think of all this? I, I mean, puddles. I, I, my comedy career. I, me being a dog I, walker. I am, all very, of I am very proud of you. I am very proud of your patience. And your persistence. And I said some things to you early on in your career that I should have never said. And I apologize for all of them. What did you say? I said, Andrew, can I play third base for the Mets? <laughs> <laughs> and you could have. And I shouldn't have repeated that because we were actually. If you batted actually, one, but you did bat, what, 184 at NYU? I think it was 167. <laughs> That's a batting average. I, ha- I had two hits out of <laughs> out of sixteen at bats. That I mean, you played college baseball. Listen, okay. My claim to I remember the actual pitches during the game at West Point. We walked to the field. We walked through their indoor um, playing field. It was unbelievable back then. This is forty years ago, and we beat them. And we beat them three two. And I remember. I actually remember the pitches. That freshman team, the way I got on the team is my friend, my friend Freddie Levine, who went to NYU. Andy said, Levine? Fre- Freddie. <laughs> Freddie. Just Fred. Donut. He was, a, he was a scholarship ball player. Yeah. There were, I believe, seven or eight scholarship ball players on the freshman team. Okay. We were pretty good. They needed a right fielder, so he called me and said, well, we need a right fielder. Just stay out there and catch the ball. <laughs> you were like Sandlot, the kid from Sandlot. Yeah, yeah. But but I played – Freddie was a friend of mine growing up, and we played – he had a uh, two-hand touch football uh, schoolyard uh, league called the FLFL. Yeah, big time. Freddie Levine <laughs> Slow football Slow. league. Yeah, and he, he labeled me Slow-Mo. <laughs> so that team that, that, that I played with freshman year – they had seven sophomore starters on the uh, Division One team and two seniors, and they went to Omaha and finished third. 19. So you were on the freshman team? I was on the freshman team. Did Freddie Levine end up playing on the main team? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He played pro ball or no? He did not play pro ball. He was, he was probably good enough to play if he was bigger. He wasn't a big kid. So why did you... You just knew that even if you worked extra hard that you couldn't. Well, you bowled in college, right? High school. High school. I have. That's a story. I I went out. I, I bowled my junior year in high school. And my claim to fame in my athletic career in high school was in the Star uh, Journal newspaper, which was a local newspaper, I had a headline in the sports section, Colin Pace's Red Devils. I mean, that's huge. At a 214. It wasn't, I mean, it wasn't <laughs> two a great score, but yeah, it, was two, yeah, yeah. it was 214. So it went to my head, and I said, oh, I can't. I bowl for this coach. He's the baseball coach. I'm going to uh, try out for the baseball team as a senior. And he said, Mr. Montabano. And he sat me down after the last cut. He said, you didn't make it. I said, why? I bowled for you. He, <laughs> <laughs> he said, seniors don't sit. Mm. And he'd be sitting. 
So I didn't learn my lesson. I went out for basketball, too, my senior year. I got the same story. Why did you wait till senior year to go out for these teams? Because I didn't think I was good enough. Well, what do you think that came from? My parents. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Did they tell you that they couldn't start for third base (laughs) in pro baseball? No, actually. No, really, though. Like, why not? Because, you know. Listen, it's a, it's a, it's. Were you not allowed to play because of focus on your academics or was it? No, no, no. No, I, I wasn't. I didn't think I was good enough. Growing up in Little League, I was good. I was good up until about, I mean, really good, like second or third on the team. Colin Paces, literally. Right. right. And then what happened? Then 12. Then because other kids grew and you didn't hit puberty till late? No, I just don't. I, I, didn't, I didn't think I was that talented. I was not fast, I, a.k.a. slow-mo. Yeah. Good hand-eye coordination, though. I did. I did. Yeah. Yeah. But do you think that if someone pushed you, you could have been great? Like, do you think that? No. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. No, No. No, but you know what I mean, though? Like, you, if someone, I mean, you probably, if you stuck with base, like, if you practice as much as you, as you could have, you know what I mean? You bet, you know, I don't know. Uh, Listen, maybe. I I, I think it's a combination. So I, I, I I was a realist. You know, it wasn't. You're young for being a realist there, though. I mean, isn't that like well, a when young... I saw kids hitting the baseball yeah. 400 feet, and I hit little dribblers, and yeah, <laughs> and maybe beat out one or two. That's how I got my two yeah. hits. <laughs> what? Um, how close were you with Grandpa Marvin? Were you guys like? Was he? Would he come to games? Was he like? Yes. Yeah. 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 So, so he, he played went... sports, Grandpa Marvin. He played lacrosse. Yeah, for City College. Goalie. Was he goalie? <laughs> I think so. (laughs) He played. I remember him. We used to go up to the Catskills for uh, the summer, and we would stay at the hotels, Young's Gap. um, You know, you went to camp. Yeah, Concord. So there was always a men's softball team, uh, and they played two or three times a week when we were up there. And he played on that team. And he was good. He was good, and he, he was big. He, he was, was like good. six four. He he was good, but he wasn't. I don't remember him standing out like, "Wow, what an athlete!" But he he was able to play. He actually got me into one of the games. Oh, no, that'd have been cool. That was cool. That was cool. How did you play? Uh, right field. No, no, <laughs> right probably field. not very good. The bat was probably bigger than me. <laughs> so you guys. So, were- so I don't. I don't. I don't think. Um, how should I put this? I, I think that you get a self-awareness of about what you're good at and what you're not good at. You know, would I have liked to play high school ball? In retrospect, yes. Could I have played high school ball, baseball, maybe not basketball, but baseball? Yeah, if I tried out as a sophomore, I might have stuck. But, yeah. But, um, you know, I went, to, I went to college. I wasn't planning on playing freshman ball until Freddie called me and said, we need a right fielder. Yeah. And what did your dad think about when you told him that you were going to play baseball? Uh, he he was supportive. Yeah. He was supportive of me growing. I remember he went to all my games, my Saturday and Sunday games in Little League. Uh, I, w- I played short and I pitched. You know, so I was. But the first year I won the batting title. Do you remember me playing Little League? Absolutely. What are some stories Cincinnati. that I wouldn't remember that? Maybe you, you think played, about sometimes when I was a Cincinnati kid. Cincinnati Reds yeah. with your brother. Yeah, the same year. You played second. I don't 
recall where did he play? He played the outfield. <laughs> he played third or first. <laughs> did usually. he really? Did he play infield? Well, he played on another team, but he was young enough to then play. I remember. I, I remember him getting hit by a pitch, and he got yeah. Hurt. He got he nothing broke, but he got, really got hurt. And um, no, you were you were uh, athletic from the time you were small. I mean, both in baseball and soccer. Do you have any stories of like when I was a kid though, like that you sometimes think about that I wouldn't remember? Not even just sports. How about the time we were late and they had already started the game and you had to climb a fence to get into I, the? I remember, you remember that. that. Yeah. Why were we late? <laughs> I wasn't driving. <laughs> no, <laughs> you weren't driving. I was driving. I'm not sure. It was it was somewhere in the boonies. I I, I think we got lost. Yeah, I think me going to a smaller school, private school, gave me some kind of confidence to think I could play sports. You could play. You, you yeah. were, you were yeah. honorable mention all state, weren't you? Well, no, but we could pretend. Which state? <laughs> what catatonic state? <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not Florida. No, I was good. I led the team in assists in lacrosse. And, wait, wait, in football, no. I had one touchdown, and I got hit too hard, and I cried. No, Not I cried, but, but I, I was think at, you were at I was that at, game. I was at all your games. I don't. We we were at all your games. All of them. No, well, <laughs> all the ones that I was at. All the ones. All the ones that I remember. All the ones that I remember. We didn't. You know what? We didn't go to Lakeland because we knew that your asses were going to get kicked. <laughs> Lake Highland was that? Or, I don't no, know. Lakeland wasn't Lakeland. Something? Oh, Glades Day or whatever. The Pounceys played there. Oh uh, yeah, they played for the bigger school down there. Oh. Clay Central. We played for. But did, didn't yeah. you, didn't you win an award for the division of, of where St. Ed's was in the lower division for for lacrosse? Did I win an award? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe probably like unsung hero. You guys were. You guys were. It was. It was fun time. I was. I was thrilled to have three boys. Yeah, I was thrilled. And I was a good fan. I remember. Uh, I remember you taking us to the batting cages, and your big thing was always show the numbers. When we were playing numbers, baseball, the, so you, you would turn your hips. Right, right. I remember that's, that. that's good to remember. Yeah, show the numbers. Yeah. I remember. Uh, I think I lost a little confidence, uh, to be honest, like when the divorce and stuff was happening. Because, like, I think, like. It I, affected I, your athletics as well. I mean, my everything. I remember it affected my academics because I had a journal, I remember, and I wrote in the journal, and there was, like, perfect penmanship. And then around 13, it became, like, big letters, like, fuck the fat yeah. kid on the bus. Emotion, and, like, really, I was just emotion projecting. Tra- emotional yeah. trauma and writing. Yeah. And I think I had, like, a blind sense of confidence, like, when I was younger, more so where I thought I could do anything. Maybe. I don't know if that, I'm not going to attribute it completely to the divorce, but like, also I think going to the smaller school, although it was good, I felt out of place being the only Jewish kid in the school. So I think, I don't know, there might have. Except for Lisa Kenneract. Do you know? Do you, do you, <laughs> yeah, Lisa Kenneract. Michael you, Korn. Do you know her? who her father was? A Dr. Kenneract. No. Oh, I just assumed. Judge Kenneract. Oh, Judge Kenneract, yeah. He was our divorce judge. <laughs> <laughs> that shows how many Jews there were he was on. where we live. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, and I never got to speak to him. <laughs> I'm sure you love him. I did meet him in a restaurant once and started chanting something. And did you really? I, I think Jeannie told me to be quiet. Wait, wait, wait. What the fuck? <laughs> so the judge? <laughs> that, that, <laughs> Here come the judge or what something. Did he, uh, 
<laughs> listen, you, you were know, talking shit to your divorce judge. I talked shit to him during the divorce. You know, maybe that's why I lost. <laughs> I remember you talking shit at my lacrosse game. That was a fight, boy. I with don't remember Bill Stolzer in the stands. Oh, <sighs> he started that. <laughs> he started. I was sitting with someone's father, a, a friend's father, minding my own business, and he. Tapped me on the shoulder. He said, I'm going to speak to you now. I said, I don't speak to you. And we went back and forth, and I had a decision to make. Either I'd punch him out right there, or I would walk away with him. And so I walked away with him. I said, you don't intimidate me, so don't try. Yeah, it was intense. I remember being on the boat. He was was angry because uh, his wife and your mom were in a nascent uh, home decorator's Business. Rooms by Robin. And rooms by Robin, right. <laughs> they had cards. They had nowhere revenues, but they had cards. They had, I think they had one, uh, uh, Jeff Lazarus, Dr. Lazarus was one of their clients or their only client. So we were attempting to try to prove that she had the ability to have an income. Mm. And You probably need more than one client to prove that. You do. <laughs> you, you do. You do. It was tenu- it was tenuous at best, okay. But it wasn't ill-willed. It was it was presenting the facts. So when she went for a deposition with my attorney, who was a tough guy, he kind of laid into her, and I didn't make it there until they were finishing up the deposition. And Bill thought that I knew that the attorney was going to go after Sue, mm. and he did. I mean, he went after Sue. He was attempting to try to prove that they could make a living. And, you know, so the Stolzers were uh, a divorce um, yeah. tra- tragedy. Uh, it happened. I mean, I never really liked going there for Christmas good. lunch anyways. That always made me feel good that, that I didn't you, like guys that. Were, you guys were being made to go to the Stolzers for Christmas. <laughs> that made you feel good? That, made me feel that good. I had to sit through it that made, fucking it, terrible it, time? Hey, listen, you know. Can you, we just, like, why do we have to go to these family stupid functions? Oh, well, you know, I think I just. Anyways. Um, I wanted you to be exposed to some of the things that I, yeah. <laughs> I was exposed okay. to. Okay. Uh, <laughs> when you got, so you went, you playing baseball at NYU. When did you know you wanted to be a physician? So, Grandpa, what did Grandpa do? He, like, did something with um, with uh, with gold plating. Yeah, he was a chemical engineer chemical by engineer. training. Yeah. By academics and he and his partner Bert Sherman was an electrical engineer and they started a plating on plastics business where you take a piece of plastic uh, put a layer of silver on it so it's metallic and then you can put anything you want on top of that so the cars even to today people think that you know the buttons on the cars are metal. They're not metal. They're, pl- they're all plated plastic. The the grill around the radio that's mm-hmm. all plated plastic. And they designed that. They designed it and did. I I invented. They had the I, patent. I, I worked it? two summers for him, and it was a big factory. What did you do no, at the factory? I don't, think, I don't think it was a patent, but I worked with the workers. I mean, it was it was hard a, work. A real education. It's probably the best thing to happen. No, it was wonderful. It was wonderful. I, I know that they. Were I wish some, I had a job like they, that. They were somewhat je- jealous of me because lunch. I would eat lunch in the air conditioned executive offices. 
Well, and laugh at them and point and no, say I you're poor. I didn't do that. They would have put me in a vat of acid, probably. If they, I did that. You would have looked cool, though. You would have like, looked wait. like a trophy if you just held your oh, oh, yeah, yeah. little baseball guy. Yeah, yeah, I got it. That would have been got fun. I, got, I have a trophy like that. Yeah, we all do. <laughs> <laughs> no one doesn't have that trophy. Right. We were talking about that before. Participation that trophies? Did. Yeah. I don't mind it. My this kid, this guy that opened for us, he talks about he's a younger guy about participation trophies. He's like, just because we get the trophy, we still know that we didn't win. We're not stupid, and he's, you know what I mean, like that they they're aware that they're getting a fifteenth place trophy. They're not like, no, no, oh my god, I got a trophy. They what, know it's like a pathetic trophy. One of the best things about St. Ed's was that actually because they used to have parent dinners at the end of the season. Okay, they kind of. It kind of went by the wayside as you got, went up into the higher grades. But that was wonderful that the entire team got got up there. And the coach actually said a little yeah, I remember about that. each individual kid. Yeah. And when he was getting down to the 14th and 15th, he was running out of stories. He'd yeah. go, what, what's your name? <laughs> you, you always wore shoes. <laughs> you always right. uh, had cleats. No, I, I – um, but so – okay, so grandpa's an engineer – you right. go to college. Did you want to be a doctor? You know, I've often thought about what prompted me to become a physician. And I think that it was in part about Grandma Thelma's illness. She had breast cancer as a, as a young I didn't woman. know that. Oh, you didn't? Yeah. We don't talk. <laughs> <laughs> I never knew that. that really? Yeah. I, I'm learning as well. I, I just I just reiterated a a, a a story with Danny. He said, "Yeah, yeah. Why don't you think that way? Because that's not how it happened." Yeah. So, and some of the things that you've said on some of the podcasts, I go, "I didn't know that." Yeah, we'll get into those. So, so um, she was she was emotionally ill afterwards. She had a mastectomy. A, but a, this kind of explains why she was such a hypochondriac throughout no, life. But she, no, that she was. Probably, I mean, that, she was a hypochondriac <laughs> before she got sick. Yeah. Okay, this only made it worse. Okay. It only made it worse. But but and she went through some emotional turmoil afterwards. I mean, she had a big operation. I had it modified. She had a. Um, Forget what they call it, advanced mastectomy. Where you would know you're uh, you're a cancer yeah, doctor. I, I, <laughs> you're looking at me. <laughs> oh, you mean a titty removal? <laughs> not, not only not only not only the titty, but they took the muscle yeah. all the way down to the ribs. Okay. So, and she was a young woman. Uh, she was probably before she was forty or forty-five ish, something like that. So, and then I. I I think that that's what started it. And then I said, well, you know, there's nothing else to be other than a doctor. I'm going to be a doctor. And a cancer doctor at that. Well, the, the cancer doctor came. Th- that decision came later. So all through college, I must have been pre-med because I remember strategizing to major in chemistry and not in biology because all the pre-meds were in biology and they were cutthroat. You know, it was it was really it was during Vietnam. It was difficult to get into medical school to begin with, so I became a chemistry major. I took some bio courses, one of the prerequisite bio courses that I needed to take. I took organic chemistry during the summer and got good grades in organic chemistry. And I was lucky enough to get into medical school in Chicago with the help of my dad, 
who donated X number of dollars to get me Did out. he? Yeah. Otherwise, I was looking to go overseas. I probably would have gone to Mexico, to Guadalajara. But I got into Chicago. And from How did the, that feel, though, when you, if your dad gave a couple bucks? It, um, it didn't make me feel well. Yeah. So I just... But it probably made you work under, that much harder when you got I, in. I put it under the covers. I go, yeah. I, now, yes. Now that I'm in, let me show them. So I was second in my class in, in med school. And um, I matched to Miami. The reason why we got to, to Miami, I, I thought we were going to go back to New York. So I put three hospitals in New York, uh, Cornell, Mount Sinai, and I think NYU. I went to, grad, I went to undergrad at NYU thinking that that would be an in, they they deny me. So I got my fourth choice, Miami. And I was pretty upset that I didn't get one of the first three choices. But Miami was great. Uh, it was a, a wonderful education in a big county hospital. You saw everything. What's some of your crazy stories from the ER? Ugh. I know you have some great later stories, too. Um, you know, you would see, so in med school, we were affiliated with Cook County, which was right across the street. And in, um, when I went to Miami, I was at Jackson Memorial. It was very similar to Cook County. You would see all walks of life. The best thing about medicine, I think that allowed me to see what the world was about. It was a diversity. So you saw everybody and everything and you understood that although there's a few bad characters in this world, we're all the same. We're all the same. And it, it is uncanny from rich to poor to black to white to different ethnicities. We're all the same. When the guy goes to the refrigerator and he's looking for the ketchup and he says, where's the, where's the ketchup? Yeah. And the woman comes up and says, here it is right in front of you. Okay, that happens in every every ethnic um, family. Yeah. So, and we all get sick the same, and we all, you know, we all rust the same. So, if the entire world knew that we that that diversity was fairly uniform, you know, if you throw out the bad actors, there'd be no war. Yeah. Right. I feel that way with comedy a lot. Well. I, I'm sure that there are a number of fields out there that would expose you to diversity that you that you were never going to be exposed to. I was concerned about you going your to brothers. St. Ed's. Yeah, and, and because St. Ed seemed to, at least in terms of college, they seemed to promote the same type of colleges, you know, where upper middle class, mainly white, mm-hmm. uh, at least back then. Um, so when you were going through your schooling and then through – uh, your residency, did you, did mentally, like anxiety wise, I mean, that's got to be a culture shock. Did you have any like run ins with that? Because I mean, obviously, I deal with that. And I don't think we've ever even I, talked I, about I, that. I think, I think everybody has self doubt. Yeah. Everybody. Um, and actually, I did pretty well. The, the year that I started practice, when I was working 48 hours a day and no coverage. and In Miami? Uh, no. In, oh, in Fort Pierce? Actually in Fort Pierce. Okay. okay. Internship was hard, but you always had backup. 
You know, when when we moved to Fort Pierce, I was the only oncologist in, in Fort Pierce, and there was one other oncologist in Stewart. And I started going to both hospitals when there were two lights on US-1. You know, they would be 20 minutes apart. Now it's probably an hour drive, yeah. right? Back then, that was even before uh, cell phones. We would have stacks of quarters because we would we knew where the pay phones were along US one in case we got called. So that first year was very tough. I physically and 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 emotionally um, went through a difficult time. Yeah, I actually took a couple weeks off. Uh, really? Yeah, you know, the second year I was there, and then after that, I I you know you hit bottom. What what? The thing about going through adversity is is that you have to realize when you hit the bottom. And once you're able to survive that, it may not have been fun. But once it's – I always tell patients this story. You know, you're on 95 and it's in the middle of the day and there's a thunderstorm and it becomes pitch black. And it's raining so hard your wipers aren't going fast enough, right? And you're going 10 miles an hour. And then you get this sigh of relief when you see the blackness in your rearview mirror. Mm-hmm. And it's lighter in front of you. And that's the same way with adversity. Everybody goes through adversity. I don't care who you are, how tough you think you are, what you portray yourself as. Um, and you develop, I mean, therapy and drugs are good, but you develop, <laughs> you develop um, a healthy sense of how you can keep the corners smooth, right? So, for instance, um, I had some difficult partners in, 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 in the practice. They were excellent doctors, and medicine was a 1,000%, but the rest of the behind closed doors, it was the business part of it was all dysfunctional. And I said one day, oh, okay, they're a constant. I'm going to expect them to behave exactly like this because they've behaved like this the last five times in a similar situation. On the sixth time, they're going to behave the same way. Okay, Where you get into trouble is when you say, oh, they got five down. They're going to be different. They're going to change on the sixth. They don't change. No. They don't. I mean, You can't change them. Correct, and when you, you can't. That's correct, and and that's that's a fault when you think you can change them. Yep. Right. You can only change yourself. Yep. Right. You got to be selfish. You do. Uh, I mean, no, you do. No, in a sense, selfish. Not sel- selfish sel- sel- has a negative connotation. No, 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 no. I you, in a positive connotation. Yes. Right. Right. Yeah. Because you, you, you know, being a uh, cancer doctor, I, I get, gave a lot of myself, but you need to reserve <laughs> some space for yourself, right? So then, I guess, um, yeah. When I would view you, like. Because you're a cancer doctor, because you were saving these lives and this kind of job, I had this this view of you as right. almost uh, nothing can phase you in a way or you don't feel – like, you know, or like, you know, I would talk to your patients when I would work there, you know, kind of during the summer. And, you know, oh, your dad is like Jesus. And so, like, I had these ideas of who you were and that you didn't – because of – Whatever happened with our, you know, family with divorce stuff, and I don't feel like we talk that much about feelings and and, and anxiety and things like that. And and growing up, that you know, I didn't know who you were, right? Really, and so because I I was out of the house a lot. Yeah, 
but it, it is what it is. But like, I just think like, so then my expectation, oh, my, my idea of what your expectations for me were, I, I had them so like the idea of like, I needed a career or whatever, or, you know, I needed to be this kind of person rather than like actually like communicating it. And so then I just had, um, so, you know, it took me until I was 30 to even think about like a, going after something like comedy where I, you know, I don't know. I just, um, so you found your niche. I didn't, uh, to be honest with you, that type of relationship between an idolized father and a child yeah. happens all the time. Yeah. So, so of course, so, I don't so think this, I'm like, right. Yeah, this, was, this wasn't a black no. cloud or a light just on you, but yeah, I mean, when I look back, I think that we could have had a better relationship and more discussion about serious things, but I, I didn't, but I, I didn't I'm have, fine. I, I don't regret have, it. I, like I didn't it. have major aspirations that you needed to be X, Y, or Z. Listen, you, you had a, a tougher childhood than your brothers because they, they were honor students. They were, they were gifted mm-hmm. kids. I mean, you, you were the middle child between two and, gifted brothers. And I was brothers. slow and dumb. You weren't dumb. You oh, were, I thought that's you, what you, you said. You, no, you weren't. <laughs> Maybe that's why we didn't talk. I said, Andrew, you're dumb. I'm not talking to you. <laughs> With your dumb ideas. No, you weren't dumb. No. Okay? You, were, you were an all-American. I had ADD. I was you, all over the place. You weren't. Okay, whatever. I don't, I don't think you had ADD. Okay, well, that's a whole I, other I, thing. I, but- I, I think you needed, to, you needed to be routinized, okay? You had some difficulty with um, uh, focusing. Okay? Yes. Huh? But that's that's not that's, that's you know that's not ADD. That's difficulty focusing. So how you take care of that? How you parent that is okay. This half hour you, after school you're doing this. This half hour. This the next half hour, and you keep repeating it, and your focus improves because you're on a schedule rather than random. Okay, if you're left to random, you wind up on the corner in New Orleans being arrested during Mardi Gras. Yeah. It was the side street. It wasn't the corner. No, but this is the thing, though. I agree with that, but I don't think – I think my ADD and because how my brain works, because a schedule does really fuck with me. I think it's actually it? helped me in comedy in a way, but I definitely still can be more – I can still always have a better schedule and set goals and, and, and use my time more efficiently. That being said, on the other end of that – because my brain is so scattered and like kind you of feel closed in uh, during a routine or yeah oh yeah that's why i can never do the nine to five and that's why when i was in college i'd be in class i'd be having panic attacks i couldn't sit there for an hour especially when you're hung over no, no, so but um well, we did talk on the phone a couple of times about your anxiety back not but not till later in life i feel like and it's fine i, I, I don't rem- think i, I knew we- what it was i don't think at the time i i couldn't verbalize it to you and then when i was dealing with the debt and stuff like that like i couldn't verbalize like how sad i was or how depressed i was and it's not your i'm not like saying it's anyone's fault here but so we get past that let's so you are a cancer doctor how do you separate being a physician and then okay and then dealing with people dying like how do you and then after you retire from being a cancer doctor you get diagnosed with breast cancer and what did that do to your brain and how you, understanding your patients and what they were going through and in a way do you wish you had it earlier to have an understanding or do you think you, it would be harder to be a doctor those are a lot of questions i know okay so 
I wrote, those were the ones I wrote down. So, I had a schedule. So, so the, the <laughs> <laughs> you didn't have to pull out a piece of paper. No, it's all in the head. Yeah, you got it. I do. So, a, I do an hour. I could do an hour. <laughs> so there were always patients when I was a younger physician. For, first of all, once I got through medical school and once I was an internship and residency, you make as a, as a young doctor, you have to make a decision whether or not you're going to be in internal medicine, surgery, obstetrics, or peds. Okay. And there are multiple subspecialties in those four big areas. And I didn't want to be a surgeon, an obstetrician, or a pediatrician, so I knew I was going into medicine. And for a lot of reasons, the way I thought, the way surgeons thought, they they were much more rigid than I could ever be. Um, Although I did put myself on routinized schedules so that I could get by, uh, I knew I couldn't be a surgeon. Um, it was like they not only practice internal medicine, they're operating all night. You know, it was, it was, yeah. it was, and it wasn't, it wasn't my interest, you know, to tinker with people's bodies and, you know, I never tinkered with cars. I'd always bring it into the body, yeah, yeah. You know, right? So when you, my memory of deciding oncology after the internal medicine decision was made was... I finally felt stabilized enough with a good foundation that says, give me the toughest patients. If I can take care of the toughest patients in the toughest situations, not thinking about the outcome, but dealing with those type of situations, you have no more problems with self-worth. I mean, if you're good in this field, whoa. And you know what? Most oncologists went into oncology for that reason. They didn't go in for... It's like the, coming to New York to do stand-up and not staying in your small town. But yeah, anyway, sorry. Well, yeah, I, I, I compared no, literally no, saving no, lives to... But I'm just trying to relate. Yes, so anyway, so yeah. It's, listen, so it's, you like decide, any, it's, 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 it's okay, like but, any profession. You know, it's like any profession. You can put it here, you can put it here, you can put it there. It, it's all perception of what that perception uh, what that um profession is there are guys better than my me in my field and there are a lot of people significantly less than me okay and i try to stay with with the cadre of physicians who i think are smart enough and care enough and have their head on right and they're not looking to leave to play golf that afternoon they're not looking to make so much money that they don't know how big a boat they want, you know, that their head's on straight and that they know that they're in a field that's important. Yeah. And even with that knowledge, as a young physician, you would always have particularly younger patients, which are always hard, harder to deal with. They would say, hey, Dr. Collin, we're having dinner over at our house uh, next Saturday. Why don't you come on over? And I I accepted some of yeah. those, okay? And I got too close, mm. okay? And I I, I remember... There was I, that one lady that had yeah. breast cancer. Yeah. Port St. Lucie, I remember her. Yeah. And I was too... I said, never again. Never again. So I always declined respectfully if I ever got a social uh, invite. So without the patient knowing, you need to... Create a situation where the patient thinks that they're the only patient. They know that they're not the only patient. But you need to create that situation that you're giving them enough focus and time as that they're important, okay? But the best way to practice oncology is arm's length. 
you know, and you never define what that length is, okay? And they can never define it for you. But once you start feeling that that length is getting shorter, you back off. Because once they get sick, that's really tough. Also, peds, I couldn't do peds on a... On a what are peds? Um, children. Oh, yeah. I, I couldn't do it. I mean, particularly after becoming a parent and, and seeing your kids grow up and, you know, seeing four-year-olds with cancer. We, we would... We would Treat those patients, but there were a number of levels that we had uh, that allowed us to do it. We would we would treat patients on a protocol where we were basically following a recipe on how they would get treated, but they were with a major pediatric cancer center, and they had a local pediatrician. So in case they got sick when they were in Port St. Mm-hmm. Lucie, they would call the pediatrician, and then he would be able or she would be able to deal with the cancer center, and so we wouldn't be in between. So if someone needed to be admitted to the hospital, which didn't happen very often, um, we would be the consultant, but we would have a number of layers of, of how we could take care of the kid. If we had, uh, we had a handful of kids every year. Um, it always seemed more than that, but that was difficult. So you attempted to try to maintain your distance without um, deteriorating any of the warmth and the, and yeah, the compassion. That's hard. It is hard. But it's a learn. It's like yeah. anything else, like any other profession. It's a learned nuance. You know, another physician who, ju- who just heard that story, yeah, that's what we do. Yeah. Um, so. So then when you. When I. When I. So. I retired in uh, in 2011 after 30 years. Uh, you had three private practices at that, or four private practices. We had at that four point. offices. Yeah, four, right. Four One off- private practice, four offices. Right, four offices, five docs. You did great. I, I was. We, we did. <laughs> it was. It was. Uh, it was fulfilling uh, in this little place i mean you talk about a small town i was able to recruit three guys from sloan who, who trained at sloan and one gal that trained at harvard it was you know every so often i would pass a mirror and go yeah, yeah that's what i'm saying <laughs> right you know out of you out should of, no no yeah I, I think in a healthy way yeah right? but uh, you know i've i've done i've that. always attempted to be humble in the in the dealings that I've had, I haven't been absolutely perfect in that, but I, I I like understated stuff, okay. And you're allowed to do that. It, well, it's a lot easier for you to do that once you know you can have anything you want, right, or almost anything. I mean, if you if you if you never satiate yourself, you're like everybody else, living check to check, right. So no matter how you're compensated. There's a point in time where your compensation has to equal your satiation that, oh, yeah, if I make more money, that'd be great. But if I don't, big deal, right? So, and, and every profession has that level of satiation. And the happiest people on earth are the, are the people that are able to, to be, find that satiation. Yeah. To find, I knew it two weeks in to the, to the practice in Fort Pierce. I, I used to take the, the checks to the bank and make the deposit. I go, whoa, I can make a living doing this, right? Yeah. So that was behind me. Fairly, that's how I felt fairly... when I made twenty grand last year. Who? That's how I felt when I made yeah. twenty grand last year. <laughs> Before taxes. But yeah, I listen, you know. It's... No, no, no. I made more than that. Anyway, so um I'm doing very well. I'm a millionaire now. I didn't want to tell you until now. But um 
So then, yeah. So, so then you retire. So I retire. I, I retired. You're six after, months out after thirty years. Um, not six months. I retired. Your brother got married uh, the end of July. Okay, in two thousand eleven. Yeah, I think it was July. So uh, my last day was July thirtieth, July thirty thirty first. Excuse me. So I was officially retired August first. I went on a trip, a guy's golf trip to Ireland, came back, started going to the gym. My um, chest was sore from working out, and my hand went over my nipple. I felt a nodule, and I went. I had two immediate thoughts. One, fuck, I'm not making 90. And two... Is this your golf game or your life? No, no. This, this, <laughs> no, nine, nine, I was already breaking 90. Not breaking 90, and I need to put this on my 24-hour Rolodex because I cannot deal with this today. Yeah. And I dealt with it the next day. That might have been a rough sleep. That was a rough sleep. Or did sleep. you sleep well? No, it was a rough. It was, it was it, uh, you know, again, your mind plays tricks so that yeah. you're not – Yes. You don't feel the heat of the fire all the time, right? So I went to a local physician, who, a local surgeon who I was uh, very trustworthy of. And I said, Adam, I think I feel a nodule in my left breast. What do you feel? And he feels around. He said, well, I'm not sure. I go, I don't feel it all the time. Because it was right underneath the nipple, and I have some excess breast tissue. Yeah, you're a good test. So you, could, you couldn't <laughs> feel you, It was hard to feel, yeah. okay? He said, listen, um, we'll do an ultrasound. If we see something, we'll biopsy it. I said, okay, when do you want to schedule it? He said, no, we're doing it now. I said, now? He had an ultrasound in his, in his office. And so he ultrasounds it, and it's a nodule with a big lack of calcium. Now, breast cancer can have little pieces of calcium, but when you see a big fleck of calcium, it means that it was benign, at least for some period of time, that it, it – um, benign is good. Benign is good, not malignant. Hmm. So I thought it was. I thought it was going to be benign. Okay? Yeah. So he biopsies it. He biopsies it on a uh, Tuesday. Wednesday night is Rosh Hashanah night. You were at that dinner. I don't, did I ever tell you the story? What happened that night? Hmm. This is a true story. I mean, so, why would you lie? No. It'd be a weird story uh, to make I'm up. Because I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm on a podcast and it'll be on YouTube. So. <laughs> that might be a reason, but I'm not lying. So we walked into the house. Were you this, ever a doctor? I was a doctor. I was a doctor. Uh, what, what did I used to say at, at the gate? Uh, don't, 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 don't do that. No. Don't do that. It's not a good I, I got it. I got it. Uh, um, <laughs> so... I lost my train of thought. Rosh Hashanah dinner. Oh, okay. So we're at Heather Heather's uh, house, my fifth partner. Okay. Now, I'm retired for a month. We go to Rosh Hashanah dinner. Actually, the surgeon was supposed to go in. For some reason, he didn't go. I walk into the house, and I say hello to everybody that I know. Her parents were there, and some of the doctors were there. I forget exactly who. guy comes up to me who I don't know. He said, Dr. Colin, pleasure meeting you. Pleasure to meet you. Happy Rosh Hashanah. He said, I must tell you, knowing that you just retired as an oncologist and had a wonderful career and you took care of my friend and this and that. He kept on going back and forth and he said, I must tell you, 
Next week, I'm celebrating my fifth anniversary of freedom from male breast cancer. Never heard the story. Mm -mm. I had a biopsy the day before, okay? I said, listen, okay? And I told him what the story was. I said, there's no discussion at this dinner table, okay? And when he said he had breast cancer, I didn't hear free of breast cancer. I heard breast cancer. I knew I had breast cancer when I shook this guy's hand and he was telling me that. So we sit down at the table. Jeannie was on my left and he was on my right at the table. And you were across the table. And I got a, a, a call. I guess I got a call on my phone that was vibrating. And I saw it was a surgeon. This is less than 24 hours after I had the biopsy. Okay. I looked at the phone. I excused myself. I said, listen, I need to take this on the terrace. Okay. And I got on the phone. I said, how differentiated is a cancer? He said, what are you talking about? I said, where are you? He says, I'm at your house. I said, how differentiated is a cancer? Don't lie to me. He said, I don't know that yet, but it is malignant. Why, am I, why is he at my house? Because uh, one of the disadvantages of being a physician in a small town, you know everybody, okay? So the pathologist who read it as cancer called the surgeon and said, you can't tell Colin over the phone that he has breast cancer. You need to tell him in person. So when I knew he was at our house, I knew it was, uh, that it was malignant. I go back to the table, and although Jeannie uh, sometimes refutes this, I, I went back to the table like I just got a sleeping pill order from a nurse in the middle of the night. Like I'm not, I'm not revealing, I'm not revealing my cards to anybody, and not because I just wanted to be confidential, which was a piece of it. I wanted to know what I needed to do. Mm -hmm. Right, and I needed to tell myself what to do. So the next day, Jeannie plays uh, uh, is in a tennis tournament in Daytona, and I gave her some baloney excuse that I couldn't drive her. I drove her to her friend's house, who drove her up to Daytona. And as I was leaving the friend's house, I called my radiologist friend and said, "I need a PET scan today. I have breast cancer." He said, "You know, you you can't get a PET scan the same day. The the material has to be flown in from Chicago." I said, "Joe." Most patients can't get PET scans on the same day. I need one today. I mean, 30 years, you think you should be able to get <laughs> right. a PET scan. So I had it the next morning, okay? And the PET scan was fine, except for the the, the breast cancer, the, the nodule in the breast. And I drive up to Daytona, not telling any only, – only Joe Rafa, the surgeon and the pathologist, unless they spoke to other people. The rabbi about, and the priest. Right. As far as I knew, those were the only three that knew. So Jeannie's playing on a Saturday afternoon, and she's lost one and won one. And I found out that if she is a winner in this afternoon match, that she plays on Sunday. Mm -hmm. Well, I was ready to unload by then. So I was rooting for her on the outside and the inside. I hoped that she lost because I wanted to tell her. So I told her up in Daytona. We went. We extended the, the vacation a little bit, and then we called. Um, we called you. Danny and Sam, you you might have been in town. Hmm. I think Sam came out. Yeah, but but Sam and Danny weren't in town. Um, and you know, in retrospect, there is no question in my mind that I would not have caught it that early if I was still working, because hey. any profession it doesn't you don't have to be a doctor to do this. You get so 
um, non-self-absorbed in, you know, doing things for other people, that you put yourself on a back burner. There would be no way. I wouldn't be working out in the gym, have soreness in my chest, and find a nodule, right? So I am sure that saved me. And the nodule was, the, the, the pathology was a tweener. So it if was, you want to live longer, you quit your job. Well, 30 years is, <laughs> 30 years is, good, is long enough. 30 years is long enough. So, and I went through. You got the mastectomy. Uh, mastectomy. Yeah. Uh, so get... <laughs> I didn't need that. We just stopped. So, so <laughs> got the masty. The surgery was simple. Absolutely. It was simple. Actually, I, would, uh, I called the surgeon over. I said, listen, when you're mucking around underneath my arm looking for lymph nodes, and if you can't yeah. find them, just take the lower third and close. He said, you're telling me what to do? I said, yes, because in five minutes I'll be asleep. So that's what he did. And the lymph nodes were negative, but the nodule was 2.1 centimeters, which made it a stage 2A. And it was hormone receptor positive and poorly differentiated at the same time with a re- something called a recurrence score right in between. So you could have had... Ten different opinions about how to treat that. Of course, yeah. But I had, I have my own. Uh, and what, and what is that? <laughs> that two A uh, with a recurrent. Right. It's just you know. Well, it's, the, it's not good, but it's not the worst. The, the decision to be made was whether or not you needed chemo or not. And you got chemo. I got chemo because the three second opinions: one at Harvard, one at MD Anderson, and one locally. And mine. Uh, no, I didn't ask. <laughs> Sorry, I was Je- working. Je- Jeannie told me that I had to see a doctor because I can't be running my own case. So I went to uh, yeah, an old professor like of mine. Will Hunting and Goodwill Hunting. Right, correct. Um, but I felt comfortable doing that. Until, yeah. Until she told me I couldn't do it, then I didn't feel comfortable anymore. So we, she went with me to this the office. And they all said that I needed chemotherapy. And we told that to patients all the time. When you did the math, it decreased the risk of recurrence by about 10%. Any You're on, already bald. Any on, yeah, I'm already bald. <laughs> and I'm, a, I'm an oncologist for 30 years. There is no way I'm rolling, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm rolling the dice and saying, nah. Okay? And the surgery was simple. Actually, I still had a drain in at your um, show, at your final exam at um, final, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a final exam. Hey, I wasn't mean, it? I guess. Yeah, it was the end of a show. Yeah, yes. So I still had my drain in. Yeah, you gave me an A minus. I you were funny that night. You gave me an A minus. You didn't give me an A. Well, you had to throw uh, the minus. The in there. A minus was was so that you would try even harder the next time. But that that was that was a story in itself. You know, your mother was there. Yeah. It's a, no, 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 yeah. no. Listen. Do you know the story? you know that story? No. Tell you when it's- so I, I'm driving down to West Palm, and I go, hmm, wonder if uh, Robin's going to be there. And as I was thinking that, I turned up my collar and pulled down my hat. I got there early, and I was in the corner in the back of the room making sure that we didn't see each other. Five minutes later, is that you? Oh, yeah. hello. How are you doing? Oh, you must come with it. You must sit at our table. I said, no, no, I don't want to do that. No, you must. I'm only here with girlfriends. So I was actually was sitting at her table during that act. Yeah. Okay, when you were talking about your relationship with your son. 
steps up there. Steps steps. That was one joke. <laughs> Wait a minute. It was a good joke. Yeah. I was embarrassed <laughs> and laughing and peeing in my pants and floating down underneath <laughs> the table all at once. Yeah. Okay? It was a good joke. Uh, but we won't repeat it. No, it so, never happened. So, so, so that was that that was a memory that night that of of listening to you do. So your going shit. through the the uh, the cancer, that, like can- so, well, no, we don't have to like, but going through the chemo, going through all that, your life work is cancer. What did you? What did this do to you? Uh, correct. Looking at life as well as what you just did for your whole life for thirty years. Right. I mean, that was your so, life's work. I understand that. So, so I thought I had it all figured out. The surgery went well. Okay, I walked into chemo thinking that oh, surgery. I'm went not well. just talking about physical. No, no, yeah. I understand. Yeah. I understand. The chemo knocked me on my ass. The chemo was horrible. I thought I was going to die, and I had four courses, and I didn't know where I was going to get it. Okay, so how, uh, Dr. Yecki is the fifth partner in my group that I retired, but actually they knew I resigned. Okay, after 30 years, she calls me up um, uh, a week after the surgery, and she says, uh, how are you doing? I said, what do you know? Nothing. How are you doing? I said, I had surgery. She says, yeah, I know you have breast cancer. Where are you going to get your chemo? I said, how did you find out? Well, the female anesthesiologist told me in shul and asked me how I <laughs> – she asked me how Alan was doing. I said, you're retired. And she said, well, didn't you hear he had a mastectomy this week? Mm-hmm. She said, well, you're going to get chemo. Because she knew right away that I was going to get chemo. And I said, probably in Jupiter or Vero. She said, no. You go to the doctor's office in your old office. You go into the doctor's office. You get your chemo in the doctor's office, not in the chemo room. At 8 o'clock in the morning, you get four courses, and I'll be the only physician that you see as long as you don't get sick and have to be hospitalized. And so she stepped up. So I got it there. And it was terrible. I mean, it was, it was, I I hurt so bad. My bones and muscles hurt so bad. I thought it was due to this shot called Nulasta that increases the white cells. So the second course I went in and told her, I said, I'm not taking the Nulasta. She said, you have to take it. I said, no, I don't. We gave chemo before there was Nulasta 20 years ago. I got the second course. I got the same pain. It was due to the taxotere, one of the chemo. Of course. I knew it. So I, went, so, I, so I went through that. I never believed there was chemo brain. I, because you, if you looked at the literature, the, the only portion of the literature that was talking about chemo brain was breast cancer patients. And, and you know, it's closer to 1,000 to 1, by the way, females to men. Wow. And somewhere in the upper hundreds. And it seemed that, you know, patients with breast cancer were vanguards all through the last 30 years. You know, no one spoke about cancer until some of the president's uh, wives got cancer, and it kind of came out in the open. And my reasoning was is that these more intelligent women who knew their bodies and knew what decisions they needed to make medically – were at a level that the chemo knocked down, and they were able to feel that emotionally, intellectually, whatever chemo brain was. Because we use the same drugs in different cancers, and no one was complaining about chemo brain outside of breast cancer. There's chemo brain. So you cannot, you cannot 
multitask. So my first reaction was on along those lines is, okay, I'm not going back to practicing medicine if I can't multitask, okay? If I wasn't 100%, I'm not going back to start taking care of patients. That was on that side. On the other side, I wanted... I wanted confidentiality. I, I, I wasn't prepared to go back in there and do lectures on male breast cancer, although I spoke to a number of uh, male breast cancer uh, support groups uh, and never did that um, and got through the chemo brain. 18 months later, I was significantly better and then got this cold email to work down in Boca on weekends, and the last three years have been wonderful. So I didn't think that I would go back initially to see patients. I had no problems once I started this job in Boca to tell. I told them in my interview that I had breast cancer. The senior doctor says, so how do you do on the chemo? I said I was terrible on the chemo. The men don't do as well as women. I said, really? Have you ever had chemo? No. No. Yeah. And so I'm arguing with him at my interview. Yeah. Because <laughs> I didn't like that he said men. <laughs> so treating your patients... Now, do you have more empathy yeah. for them? So, so, yes, okay? And maybe that's the third uh, point on the hat. The third point on the hat was how would you be able to react uh, to patients that have similar illness, okay? Mm-hmm. And just like the arm's, length. the arm's length, the arm's length said, whoa, you can't do this anymore. You're too close. They're going to tell you symptoms, and you're going to be thinking about what you went through. And that kind of cleared, but that was my initial thought, okay? I, I was flabbergasted that there was chemo brain, and you could get that sick on chemo. I, I, I remember telling a school teacher after a year, Mrs. Jones, you need to get back in the classroom. This is not due to your chemo. You had it a year ago because I didn't believe it. Back in the okay? day. Yeah. Back in the day, and, and she had it, okay? And usually, usually yeah. it, it subsides after a couple of years. So the, the, that, those were my feelings, and uh, it's it's made me a better physician, um, better person, and, and, ju- and just dealing with patients in the hospital. I think that if I was dealing with new new diagnoses and in the office, it would have been harder to do. I think it made you a better dad. It did, mm-hmm. because I wasn't going to make ninety. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you knew you only had a certain amount of time to. No, I just think you just are more emotional and you're more present. I think a lot of that has to do with not working as hard too. Uh, yeah, I and think I think I, I'm more, I, I'm I, the same too. I think it's I feel like it's, so you yeah. asked me my relationship with my dad. He was tough growing up. Okay, yeah. he worked hard. He was a disciplinarian, and he was an engineer. You know, so he was very left, left brain, left brain, left mm-hmm. brain. I didn't know he had right brain until later in life. And he became this new person yeah. that I never knew, okay? And, you know, I tell people well, before I was 40 and perfect, yeah. you couldn't argue with me because you were obviously wrong if you were in, a, in agreement with me because I was perfect, right? And then it was after 40 where you start to realize – that everybody has uh, pros and cons and advantages and disadvantages and disabilities and agilities. And and you realize where you're on the curve and, you know, you fluctuate like this until you 
grab a spot and say, okay, I'm happy in this spot. It's 30% me. You know, it's, or it's 10% me. The, the, the most difficult time I had with my psyche was that I was having, at least my perception was, I was having the same reaction of people in my practice that were very close to me and, and in my personal life, and I thought I was the common denominator, so it must be me. That was the bottom. Mm-hmm. And you don't know it's the bottom until you can look back at your rearview mirror. That was the bottom. And since then, yeah, it's been wonderful. This is the, the 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 part of my life now compared to the the previous chapters before. This is a wonderful part of my life. Just a, a wonderful part, professionally, personally. Got your uh, grandkids. Family, uh, being a granddad was. I never thought I would think that it would be the ultimate, but it is the ultimate. And your son on Comedy Central Radio? Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and doing Channel his podcast. And doing his podcast right. puddles. Right. You know, I mean, so you are. No, I'm, I'm pr- uh, listen, you know, we blended six, three of us, three of theirs, and we blended them. That, yeah. was, that was hard. That's, That's another, I think. We can I do think, that on another podcast. We won't get into yeah. it. But that that was harder than having six, I think. Yeah. Okay. And there's still repercussions, and I was I I was to blame. No, they're not. No, they're no, 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 no. Listen, okay. And I, as I apologized early on, I apologized for all the things that stem from that, and I could have handled it better. But I don't have a chance to handle it again. So I'm attempting to try to handle it as well as I can now. I think. Yeah, that's all we can do, and it's been awesome. I uh, I have to ask this because a lot of people want to know the pocket pussy. Oh, okay. So Look, we got to end on something very light so, here. So, so, <laughs> but no, I think it's light, but it's absolutely erroneous. It's absolutely erroneous. Hopefully, I projected myself in the last hour of, of being a non pocket pussy integri- man, of, of, of having some integrity, of having some integrity okay. that I'm not making up stories. Where you found this, oh and how my you found this, God. I have absolutely no idea. Okay, but I don't own You're, that. I don't know what it was. I had to Google it. <laughs> it okay, it was a flashlight, and I fucked it, Dad. I know. I know. Where what? It, where did I, it come uh, from? Uh, maybe maybe it was. In the dog, maybe it was a dog toy. <laughs> it was not a dog toy. I did not fuck a dog saliva. Uh, uh, listen, you know we can have different perceptions of reality. That yes. is not my pocket pussy. I don't know what that. I didn't know what that was. So then you're saying it was? I actually it was felt for change. In my, uh, no, 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 no. I'm not saying that. Okay, <laughs> I included the dog. So you're saying that I didn't have sex with this? Thing? No, I'm saying that whatever you were fucking, it wasn't my pocket pussy. <laughs> Well, thank, thanks for coming on Puddles, although I don't believe you, because I fucked something. I know you did. I know you did. And, you know, I'm leaving it on your plate. You can. You, you left it on my plate, Yeah, and I fucked uh, it. I don't know. What, what were you doing in my room anyway? <laughs> I, had a, I smelled were, oh, it. I'm looking for a pocket pussy. Uh, Mom, is there a pocket pussy up in, the, in your bedroom? You had a better shower at the end of the day. We had, we had, oh, you had a, and you had had a bath bathtub with jets, with jets, with jets that jets. I fucked off. I feel like reading a book. Yeah, I read a lot of books. <laughs> I, I never read. Oh, it's on the uh, thing here. Okay, we always end it with uh, a YouTube. That was good. That 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 
Flew by. Yeah. Flew by. Yeah, it's easy. We were having a good time. What's your favorite YouTube? So I have to tell you that I have a number, but I was with your brother this week, with Dan, and I told him that I saw your Sakura Sakura podcast. He said, did you ever see Sakura's mom's? Oh, the fire. I said, no. And when he showed it to me, I felt the same way. I was floating underneath the table peeing in my pants. Yeah, this is uh, Tom Segura. His, uh, I guess I could just set this up. I mean, I'm sure you guys might actually. Well, your, your, your grandma oh, Thelma. Up, don't press play. My mom's in the kitchen. Everything all right? Everything fine? Wait oh, a second. This what isn't my mom quick enough. Can do in the fart department. Yeah. All right. And then you meet Kevin and you're. Right. He's really right. playing slow playing. On it. So nobody can. Episode five. Is not a. That's. Oh, it's only attached to a shelf. Oh, here it is. Okay. The multi levels, and that took me years to get the privilege to see in here. I, I didn't know that it was Tom's wife yeah. until Danny told me. So this is huge, you guys. Can we see it again, please? I love it so much. That went into extra innings. <laughs> the face is like. Face. But they can't see this. So no. Watching the podcast. You are not my son. You are not, my, not son. my son anymore. You are not my son anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so, Tom's mom, you heard the fart. Sure. She's in the kitchen. She looks like a lady that's never farted in her life. And she let it rip. There's nothing better than a fart. I don't know if I've ever heard you fart. Really? In my life. I remember my We got to stop. My, my mom was that. in a similar position, okay? And she didn't, uh, it was prior to videos, okay? Oh, yeah. Right? And she's going like this. Shaking she, out the <laughs> fart? I go, Mom, what are you doing? <laughs> Making eggs. <laughs> <laughs> I'm cooking. I've heard the, that technique. I'm cooking, I'm cooking here in the kitchen. What do you think you heard? <laughs> There's a technique I never knew. You sp- you spread your butt cheek so it doesn't reverberate. But you know, oh, Grandma that, Thelma was uh, on top of it. I don't know it. if that was the, the goal. Yeah, or she would <laughs> maybe. <laughs> Thanks for doing this. Uh, you're very welcome. Thanks for asking me. Love you. Love you very much. And then can you say dope lady fire? Dope lady fire. Can you? T- well, I'll ask you off camera. No, I'm, I'm not sure what that is. That you did that. I don't first... know what it is either. Really? No, no. It's just a fun thing. You it's did just... that in your first podcast. So a lot of kids say "dope, Liddy fire." It's like, yo, that's Liddy, that's fire. So I combine oh, them all oh, to oh, kind of make fun of it. Dope, Liddy fire all day. All right, and uh, thank puddles. you for listening. Yeah, and um, what you call it? Rate and review. And also buy some merch. Bu- buy some merch. I'm, I'm buying merch right now. After I get up from this couch, there's going to be a hoodie and a and a couple of t-shirts. It's at remembertobehappy.com. The two's a number. <laughs> okay. Got, got it. Right. Have I'll, a good one. Hope you take credit cards. <laughs> they don't. Later. <laughs> we do. You do. You do. I mean. <laughs> you do. You do. Jake. Jake. Puddles. Puddles. Everybody now. Puddles. Puddles. Puddles, 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 everybody now puddles, puddles, everybody get up because you get down, if you're getting too close you know you're getting wet, if you're getting too close you know you're getting wet, 
you're standing in deep, you're getting real wet, you ain't that deep because you're kind of shallow, shallow in the brain and shallow in your heart, you'll never get that deep inside the water, girl, you'll never get that deep. Puddles, 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 everybody now puddles, puddles. This episode of Puddles was recorded at Remember to Be Happy Studios. Production by Becky Rodriguez and Tanner Williams. That's Human Places, The Ease of Three, and Lil Kinky 69.